Welcome to Ed Talks, an audio podcast presented by Achieve Minneapolis and the Citizens League in partnership with Indigo Education and Pollen. Ed Talks is a lively series of community conversations about public education and related issues that impact our young people. Each Ed Talks features two compelling short presentations by cutting edge educators, youth advocates, students, artists, or community leaders. Ed Talks is supported by generous grants from the Bush Foundation and the Vern C. Johnson Family Foundation. This Ed Talks focuses on when do you stop being a refugee? Our speaker is Sam Oak. Sam is an English language coordinator for Fairbow Public Schools. He and his family survived the Cambodian killing fields and immigrated to the United States in 1982. Sam has researched, proposed, and implemented a variety of programs for newly arrived immigrants and students learning English, and has written about the acculturation experiences of refugees. This event was recorded before a live audience at Ice House in Minneapolis on April 24, 2017. You know, I just have to say, this is the coolest place that I've spoken at. And this is the coolest crowd that I'm speaking to here right now. So this is awesome. Thanks for having me. I was actually hoping that I wouldn't know anybody in the crowd here, but I do realize that I know a couple people over here. So V, Sam, I, I think you guys will help keep me honest here, okay? <laughs> Anyways, I'm here to talk to you guys about refugees. Um, politically, it's been a topic now that has been discussed more so in a negative terms. Like, refugees are, are here and can be dangerous, can be terrorists. Um, I'm not to, to be here to change anybody's political views or anything like that, but I'm hoping to go a little bit deeper into the refugee experience and talk to you guys a little bit more about a topic that I don't feel is discussed enough. And that is, when do refugees stop becoming refugees? Is it for the fact that they've arrived in America and they've been resettled, got an apartment? Does that make them no longer a refugee? Is it for the fact that they're children of refugees, they've been born here in the United States, so they have an experience coming from a different country over here. Are they considered refugees? Or is it just when you get your citizenship? You know, for children of refugees, technically, in technical terms, they're not considered refugees. However, socially and culturally, people can make a case for that. So I'll start right away with just the definition of refugees. This is the UN definition here. It's pretty long, and yes, it sums it up very well. But actually, this is the more of the definition that I normally use. A refugee is someone who has been forced to leave their home country due to war, conflict, and or suffering. And I really want to focus on that word, home. A refugee is someone who has lost their home. And everything that goes around the feeling of being at home, the familiarity of that, having the comfort of a loving family, is gone. To me, that's the definition of a refugee. 
I'm going to go through some pictures here. And I want you to try the best you can to put yourself in the shoes of our fellow refugees here in Minnesota. Imagine if this was your home. This is what you knew. These were the smiles you remembered. How would you feel if that is gone? Imagine if this was your home. What hope do you have if that is gone? These were the smiles you remembered. How do you feel? And where is your happiness now if that is gone? And this is the home we know now. What if something were to happen and that is gone? What will replace it? How will you get those memories back? And how do you move on? So the question of my talk today is when does someone stop becoming a refugee? The answer is when they rediscover home again. And we don't need any fancy poetic definition of home. I just opened up the dictionary and I wrote this up here. Home is a social unit formed by a family living together, a familiar or usual setting, congenial environment. Also, home is where the heart is. Being at home, being relaxed and comfortable in harmony with your surrounding and unfamiliar grounds. Do refugees have this? I often talk about life being like a puzzle. This picture of me and my son here. People say he's a splitting image of me. Again, this is our definition of home here. So let's think about refugees now. As they're fleeing war, as they're running from the concentration camps, as they're escaping through bombs, are they at peace? Do they ever get to feel familiar grounds? That answer is definitely no. For many of us, too, we've lost families along the way. My grandfather coming here lost three kids during the war and in the killing fields of Cambodia. That's gone. When you're at home, when you're stable, you have hope. You can plan for the future. You go to school, you hope to go to college one day, get a good job, start a family. 
All that is in flux for our refugees. So if life is like a broken puzzle, a refugee's life, if life is like a puzzle, a refugee's life is like a broken puzzle. And sometimes the pieces that are missing are more important than the pieces that are still there. So when do they find home again? When do they get to put themselves back together again? And what can we do as educators, as friends in the community? What can we do to help our refugee family adjust and become strong Americans? You know, I used to say that being bicultural is the best thing. You know, you get to pick and choose the best of both worlds. I get to celebrate New Year's three times. <laughs> I celebrate January 1st. I celebrate the Chinese New Year because my wife is Chinese. And then I celebrate Cambodian New Year with just past year. But before we get to that point where we can start living again, instead of just surviving, things have to happen. And it doesn't happen right away. Just because you got off the plan, plane and landed in America here, it doesn't mean you automatically achieve the American dream. There's the language barrier, there's the cultural barrier, there's the life of poverty that makes it very hard to feel at home. And it's different for different generations of refugees. For our younger refugees, yes, they go through a lot of barriers, but they have the opportunity to go to school, to get integrated into the new community they have over here, so their world expands and opens up. For our older generation, a lot of times their world closes down. It's more difficult for them to learn the language. Now we have technology, but before that, there wasn't even technology when the Southeast Asians came to, to, to Minnesota here. So they can't easily turn on the music and listen to the songs that they like. Now even with technology, they still struggle to do that. They can't go outside and say hello to the neighbor and start a conversation with them. So their world closes down to the walls of their own house. And when their grandkids are born and can no longer speak their language, their world closes down to the walls of their own rooms because they don't feel comfortable in coming out anymore because they have no one to talk to. So the pieces continue to fall as they adjust to life in the United States here. They have not yet found their place to call home. So a refugee does not just stop becoming a refugee when they become an American citizen. We have our first generation refugees. Those were the adults that came out during the war. We have our 1.5 generation refugees. Those were children at the time of the wars or they were born in a refugee camp. Second-generation refugees are children born to first-generation refugees, and then third-generations are children born to American parents. But unless they're able to find 
home, the refugee cycle, the refugee struggle can continue. I'm going to go into a quick story about my grandfather, myself, and my son. My grandfather, of course, a first-generation refugee. Myself, a 1.5-generation refugee. And my son here is either second-generation or third-generation. I haven't decided yet. <laughs> but this is my grandfather's story. His name is Chon. His name means the shining moon. He was a freedom fighter against the French. And then when the war started again, between the communists and capitalists, he was recruited to fight alongside the capitalists. He has a wife and nine kids. While fighting the Khmer Rouge, he accidentally killed one of his own sons with his bare hands. No one knew what was going on. Now we know that it's PTSD and all that stuff because of what he experienced in the war. Another son was shot to death by the Khmer Rouge, and his younger daughter died of starvation right after the war. So all this happened to him. And then a question that most refugees get is, are you happy? to be in America. So if this were you, if you were my grandfather and you got asked that question, how would you answer that? Is happiness even the right word? There's so many p missing pieces to the puzzle, to his life, that he can never get back. This is me here. My full name is Sambat which means the richness of life. And I often ask my grandfather, because I saw that, that his world has shrunk. He was so unhappy here. And I ask him, if he's so unhappy in America, why did he come and why, did he, why didn't he choose to go back? And his answer to me was that he felt like his life had ended back in Cambodia already. But he came here because he wanted me to have an opportunity of life. And that's where my name came from. When I was born, my father and mother separated when my mother was seven months pregnant with me. I did not know that my father was alive until I was five years old. I did not speak to my father until I was 17 years old. And I did not meet my father until I stopped becoming a refugee at age 31. As a teenager, I joined a local street gang. In college, I could not fit into the Asian definition. Because in Rochester, all the Asians were Cambodians. When I came up to Hamlin here in the cities, the majority of the Asians that I knew were Hmong. And even though the experience was similar, there used to be a saying that the only thing Asian people had in common was rice. And actually, I felt that was quite true for a short time there. But I hope now and in the future that us Asian Americans can write our refugee story together, because we do have more in common than we have that are different. As a professional, I worked in Rochester, became an EL coordinator, taught Cambodian folk dancing, 
became an American citizen at age 27. My son, Arun, his name means the morning sun. He was born with a strong neck. And when I used to sleep on the floor, that was my first memory of life, was actually sleeping on the floor. My son has three cribs in the house. <laughs> At one month, he flipped over on the stomach to back. At three months, he flipped over from back to front. And at five months, he sat up. I'm not bragging that my son is gifted or anything here, but it's all, the evidence is all there. <laughs> but, you know, sadly for my grandfather, he'll probably be a refugee all his life. Because when I talked to him, he said every night he still dreams about his life taking place back in Cambodia. He had never had once dreamt of himself here in America because all his friends were over there. His memory of happiness was over there. For me, I didn't feel at home until I was able to take control of my life again, until I had a college education, which many of my friends didn't have. Many of my friends are still living in that struggle, and they still talk about themselves as being Cambodian first, and not even Cambodian-American, because it's hard. For whatever reason, and the experience they had made them feel not at home here. They're still searching for their home. And I hope that I can give my son a good enough life so that the refugee cycle ends. It's not like I'd ever want him to forget that we were refugees, that we had struggled, and this is how far we've come. But you know, truthfully, sometimes I don't want him to remember about the struggles. I, I don't think that's uncommon. I actually really do, contrary to many, many um, ideas out there, that I think our European immigrants experience very similar things to what our Southeast Asian and East African immigrants and refugees experience now. However, throughout the years, and as the family started experiencing successes, they forget about the struggles. And rightfully so, you should focus on your success, but I'm sure the struggles were still there. I remember reading that the Irish were blamed for the fire in Chicago, and the Italians had to change their last names to not be harassed. So I think that struggle of immigration and becoming a refugee exists in all of our family heritage. However, when we're able to find home again and replace all our broken memories with happiness, that's when the refugee journey ends. So in the last four, two minutes here, <laughs> let me give you some tips where I think it would help in working with refugees and get them to feel at home again. So the four adaptive patterns of acculturation, this came out of Harry Catano's work, and it talks about the different stages of integration into the United States, or the different stages of assimilation. You have low assimilation, low ethnic identity, low assimilation, high ethnic identity, high assimilation, low ethnic identity, and high assimilation, high ethnic identity. 
Low assimilation, high, low ethnic identity, these individuals don't feel like they belong anywhere. This is when segregation happens, and then people get caught in the refugee cycle, in the poverty cycle, and it's very difficult for them to come out. Low assimilation, high ethnic identity, these individuals feel comfortable in their own ethnic communities and are uncomfortable outside the ethnic communities. They're able to find successes in their own communities, but struggle to integrate and find successes and even find appreciation outside their communities. These are the two that we want to try to help our students achieve. High assimilation, low ethnic identity, and high assimilation, high ethnic identity. And actually, high assimilation, high ethnic identity is actually where we want to get our students at. They feel comfortable in both culture, and this is when they truly become bicultural. They not only feel comfortable and feel successful in, in the mainstream system, but they're also confident and comfortable enough to share a part of themselves with the rest of the community as well. If we don't get to those two areas, okay, if we get the low assimilation, low ethnic identity, or low assimilation, high ethnic identity, it could lead to cultural dissonance, where we can have struggles and misrecognition of culture, our refugees develop a resistance identity, and these conflicts of resistance can happen. We want our students to feel comfortable in both communities. We want high assimilation, high ethnic identity. And this is how we can, this is how we can get them there. Remember, refugees come with lots of hope. That is their strength. So if we can develop caring, if we can be caring individuals to our students, develop supportive programs, and cultivate the student's internal will to succeed, to keep their hope alive, encourage them to learn about themselves, encourage them to also think about the perspective of others, and help them connect to the impact they have on society, this will help them break that refugee cycle. Remember, it takes a village. Systems are important. Trust and have open communication. And we can't just stick to our roles. Do not work on just one issue at a time. And if we can do these things here, we can help our refugee students fill in the missing pieces with happy memories of life here in America. Thank you. Ed Talks is presented by Achieve Minneapolis and the Citizens League in partnership with Indigo Education and Pollen. Thanks to our generous sponsors, the Bush Foundation and the Vern C. Johnson Family Foundation. For more information on Ed Talks or to watch Ed Talks videos and listen to audio podcasts, visit AchieveMPLS.org.